Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where each week we review one influential OT-related journal article. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And one of the most common questions I get asked both about this podcast and about our online journal club is whether we are covering articles which are specific to your particular area of practice, which is, of course, a really good question. We definitely want to have on our radar the journal articles that really resonate and speak to what we are doing in our specific settings. That being said, I also think that there is a really strong case to be made for more generalist learning, for learning just the general trends that are happening in rehab research and OT research in general. And this article that we are going to look at today, I think makes a really strong case for that. We are going to be looking at a journal article that has to do with mast practice where there is high repetition rehab happening. And if you've been following the podcast, you know that this has come up multiple times when we've been talking about stroke. I think we've covered like three or four journal articles that look specifically at high repetition rehab for stroke recovery. But this is the first time that we'll be looking at this high repetition rehab for cerebral palsy. But what's really interesting and I'm excited to dive into with you is a lot of the same trends and kind of questions that are arising that we saw in the stroke rehab research just really correlates to the research that we're seeing in cerebral palsy. So let's dive into this week's article. So the article that we are looking at this week and discussing is called Upper Limb Robot Assisted Therapy in Cerebral Palsy a single blind randomized control trial. And as I say every week, that sounds very specific, but I really hope that you uh, hang with me this week because there really are broad implications across practice areas that we'll discuss in this article. The article comes to us from the Journal of Neurorehabilitation and Neural Repair. It was published in 2015, and the article ranks 33rd on our list of the 50 most influential OT-related journal articles. This journal article was a really great read and I think serves as a great introduction into mass practice or high repetition rehab, as well as robot-assisted therapy. So if those are interesting to you, I definitely recommend that you seek out this article and actually read it because there's a lot of great gems in there that we won't get to in the podcast. And as I said before, this is um, actually our first time looking at the treatment of cerebral palsy in our podcast, but it definitely builds on discussions that we've been having kind of throughout the podcast about motor learning and the role of high repetition rehab versus the more varied practice, which we tend to do in conventional occupational therapy. The intent of the article was to find if high-repetition robot-assisted therapy, when combined with conventional therapy, would help children with cerebral palsy improve upper extremity functioning and ADL status more so than conventional therapy alone. 
And of course, the answer to this is not black and white. It's pretty nuanced. But in general, what they found was that for the children who did the robot-assisted therapy, they saw improvements in the smoothness of their movements when they were doing discrete and unidirectional movement. Now, the robotic device was helping them practice these discrete unidirectional movements, so it definitely seems natural that there was improvement in these movements that they were practicing over and over. But unfortunately, the improvement in the movement of quality did not translate to broader improvements in their ADL status, more so than what they saw with the conventional therapy. And this just definitely aligns with the trends that we are seeing in motor learning. Overall, it just seems that this mass practice, this highly repetitive practice, is a really great way to see quick gains in the exact movement that is being practiced. And that obviously feels really good and really motivating for both the client and for the therapist because they're getting to see these quick gains. But unfortunately, these gains and these really specific movements don't translate, or I should say, have troubles translating to actual functional improvements. So let's break this article down a little bit more so you can understand the details of what was going on. This study took place in Belgium in the city of Brussels, and they recruited 16 children from a school for children with physical disabilities. These 16 children were randomly assigned to a control group and an intervention group. All of the children in this study received 45 minutes of therapy five days a week over eight weeks. And the control group received a standard protocol of physiotherapy and occupational therapy. The intervention group received three days per week of robot-assisted therapy for those 45 minutes, and then two days per week of conventional therapy. During the robotic sessions, these children performed on average 744 movements, which is obviously just a ton of movements in some of the past studies that we looked at. The repetitions that they were looking at in an hour was around 300. Now, during the two other days per week that they received conventional therapy, the theory was that during this time, the therapists were really supposed to help translate the improvements that they were seeing in the motor function into functional tasks. So there was explicit practice time given to that. And I do want to mention that the robot-assisted therapy device that they used is called the REA plan. That's capital R-E-A and then the word plan all kind of smushed together. Um, and this robotic device is actually on the market. You can Google it and look it up. A lot of the technological devices that we've looked at um, in research haven't actually made it to market, but this is a robotic device that you can purchase. In the OT Potential Club, which is our online version of this journal club, I'll also go into depth about the assessments that were used. There were quite a few, and some of them were new to me, so I'll break that all down in there. But for the podcast, I'll just suffice it to say uh, that, as I mentioned at the beginning, there were some significant improvements in some specific movements through this practice. But again, on the assessments that were measuring broader ADL function, that there was no greater improvement than just over conventional therapy alone. 
And as I was just looking at the raw numbers of the scores from the different assessments, it seemed that in general, the conventional therapy patients had a larger improvement, but I can't say confidently whether that was statistically significant. Uh, so I definitely encourage you to look at those numbers yourself. I also thought that in the discussion section, the limitations section of this journal article was really thoughtful and well-written. And one of the limitations that really struck me and that I'm really eager to see future studies of was that there wasn't any long-term follow-up in this study. They did the assessments on these kids right before they started therapy and right after those eight weeks. And obviously it would have been really great to see um, some follow-up assessments done a couple months after the treatment had taken place just to see if these motor improvements actually carried forward. I think something that we've seen in general with this high repetition rehab is that the benefits of it start to fade pretty quickly once you're no longer doing those high repetitions. So that's something that I would be really curious to know about for these kiddos who were doing this robotic therapy. So what were my personal takeaways for OT practitioners from this journal article? Um, as always, these are just my own personal takeaways and meant to be some thoughts to kind of get the discussion going around this journal article. My first takeaway was that in this article, we're seeing a theme continued that we've talked about a couple times so far with the research that we've looked at, which can basically be boiled down to you gain what you train. This is a statement that I first read applied to stroke rehab, but definitely seems to hold true here. Uh, basically, these kiddos saw gains in what they were practicing over and over, but that did not improve to increase functional status as was the hope. And that really seems to be the tricky part, the unknown part, is how do we get these specific gains to actually translate to improved lives for these kiddos? And I think the article actually has a pretty interesting paragraph about this. It says, the various exercises in this study were designed to stimulate the patients to repeat discrete reaching movements. However, ADL involves discrete reaching movements along with rhythmic reaching movements, for example, washing the upper body, and lots of different grasping movements, for example, opening a bag of chips. So going back to my own words, if we want to be seeing gains in ADL performance, we really need to be practicing a lot of things other than just these discrete reaching movements. And that is obviously something as occupational therapists when we're analyzing different tasks that I feel like we have a really good appreciation of, of just how complex and how many skills go into these daily ADL activities. And I think that is just a strength of occupational therapy that we are actually practicing ADLs because that is where we want to see the improvement. And we're just taking the direct path to that. And from what I can tell, that is definitely a path that is being corroborated by the research. And my second takeaway is that robotic therapy definitely seems to be a promising adjunct for therapy for certain subgroups. But conventional OTs just still remains that primary rehab and what our patients need the most from us. So if you are a therapist working with a child with cerebral palsy or someone who has suffered a stroke and you are wondering if there is 
some robotic device or some fancy technological tool that would help your patient even more than you, I really want you to take heart and feel really confident that your conventional OT seems to be the best therapy that we have to offer. Your clinical reasoning is truly a superpower. There is no robotic device on the market that comes anywhere close to matching the ability of the human mind for diving into complexity and teasing out meaningful patterns. And that is really what our patients need the most from us is your clinical reasoning, which all circles back to the beginning of this podcast where I'm super happy that you are spending time going over this research, whether or not it has to do with your specific practice area. Because uh, my hope is that in looking at this, we're really building our clinical reasoning skills. We are allowing our brains to just kind of soak up this information and hopefully pull on it as is needed in our practices. I know that my discussions around this research with you all has really changed the way that I think about rehab and honestly just given me a lot of confidence in what we have to offer as occupational therapists. And I just feel like I see more and more how critical this holistic thinking is that we bring to the table in these really complex health systems and in the complex cases that our patients present with. And the biggest thing that's altering my thinking is definitely the discussions that we're having in the OT Potential Club, which if you don't know the OT Potential Podcast, which you're listening to, is an extension of the OT Potential Club. That is our online journal club where I have a written overview of this podcast and then we have a forum where people actually discuss the article and discuss the themes that we're seeing. And I'm so thankful to those of you who have chimed in there. I'm blown away every week by the depth of the comments and the discussion. I definitely want to give a shout out to Don Schroeder and Sherry Stancliffe. Last week, we talked about virtual reality for the upper extremity, and they really got that conversation going in our forum and brought some great pieces of information to supplement what I had said on the podcast. So thank you so much to our members. If you are interested in joining us, you can sign up at otpotential.com. If you're listening to this podcast on the day that it drops, which would be September 30th, I wanted to let you know that this is the very last day to become a founding member before we have a price increase on October 1st. The cost to join as a founding member is $25 per year. And if you join before October 1st, you will be locked in at that price point for as long as your membership is active. So if you've been thinking about joining our online version, I definitely encourage you to consider it before October 1st. And whether or not you join the online version, I just want to say thank you for listening to this podcast. I really do hope that over time it's helping you sharpen your clinical reasoning, which I really do believe is our superpower as OTs. Um, and I hope it's also just been fun and enjoyable. And I hope that the podcast helps you give great care this week. 